0: The Lord lit on a chapter in Nehemiah that we'll be going to today. But um, I uh, called back to Christian Dan, who came up the third week, which uh, was nice. So we, because for we were about that time, we were really missing everybody, and so to have them come at that point was really refreshing to us. And I uh, had her said. Bring my computer with me, with you. Uh, Gladell wouldn't let me take it. it <laughs> said you're not. So anyway, I said, but um, I have been writing and 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 writing notes and so forth. And um, no, I'm not going to share all of it today, because we'll be here until Monday. But. Um, It was uh, good to be be there. Good to be kind of sheltered into the Lord. Uh, The last week, about a day or two before we left, um, excuse me, um, Glidel was we went shopping, and so she was in a store, and I was sitting out in the in the mall portion. And I was just, you know, uh, on my phone reading some emails and stuff like that, and watching people go. I I like, I loved people watch, just watching, you know, all the commotion going on. And all of a sudden, I was looking at somebody. Lord dropped the thought in my heart, and I said, "Thank you, Lord. In the midst of all the commotion, you can speak through the commotion. Understand what I'm saying?" It doesn't, you know, we need to have that quiet time with him. But if our hearts are open, he can speak to us anytime. And that's my heart for you is that he'll be able to speak to you at any time that he wants to speak. Blessed be his name. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. starting at uh, verse 14 <clears throat> Hebrews 12:14 Follow peace with all men and holiness without which n- no man shall see the Lord No man will be allowed to look without holiness without his his righteousness working in our lives One, without that we have no hunger for him and therefore he will not reveal himself to us. We we have to have a heart toward him. Let me say it this way. So he is comfortable to come and we're receptive to receive something from him. That make sense? So I said to see, to be able to uh, actually recognize or to uh, be able to uh, examine. <coughs> no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently. It's to carefully look. It's... Um, King James says... Uh, Looking carefully it's, it's something that, that that's, a, that's a choice. We have to if we're looking carefully at something, it's something that we're interested in, and we've made a choice to examine it. Understand what I'm saying. If we're looking carefully toward him, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest the root of bitterness spring up and uh, cause trouble and many be defiled. If we're not looking for him, not filling our lives with him, other things of the world will take up that space. You understand what I'm saying? There are no natural vacuums in God's creation. All of us fill our lives with something. If we're not filling our lives with Him, we're filling our lives with something else, less than Him. And the problem is, the stuff less than Him only brings death. He brings life. Well... I'm trying to stay calm because my spirit inside of me is jumping up and down. Blessed be his name. The amplifier says, to see that no man falls back and fails to secure God's grace. And let me give the, give you the nutshell of today's message. We can even... By our way of life, live under the mercy of God. Or by our way of life, live under the grace of God. There is a difference. I'm shooting the whole wad right now. If you're living under his mercy, that means you're falling short of what he desires for you. You're're you're living in, thing, in areas in your life that are not committed to him. you're allowing the things of the world to fill up that which the void that should be God and God alone. All through Israel's time, they were constantly doing what? falling short of God's glory. They were constantly allowing other gods to come into their lives. They were constantly bringing uh, other things which may seem to be good, but what is the end of them? Is it is, is it something eternal? See, we have a lot of fads going on and a lot of you know, and the world's saying, Well, you gotta be you gotta do this, you gotta do that. If you're not doing this, you're just you know, you're nobody. But they're temporal. And see, that was what the problem with Israel was. They were under the old covenant and everything they did was a, with a, had a temporal, a time limit significance to them. Understand what I'm saying? And God all the time was saying, you're my people. I want you to live with a, an eternal purpose. And you're turning the eternal purpose for a temporal purpose. A temporal satisfaction. Let me go back and we'll fill in the blanks here. Continue in verse 16 of the Philips Translation. Be careful, too, that none of us fall into impurity or lose his reverence for the things of God, like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. We have to be careful not to sacrifice that which is eternal, on the altar of expedience, which is what's easiest now, what is in vogue now, what is what the world says you can't do without. And the problem is they'll tell you you can't do without of this week or this month, and next month it'll be something else. Well, how many know that's true? Within a short period of time, that latest thing in vogue is passé, and it's no longer the thing to do, and there's, al- there's something new, and it usually ha- has to do with you buying something. Well, amen, Brother Chuck. Well, that's, th- that's the standard of the world. That's the purposing of the world. Is to keep you always stirring up desires for something material that they can sell you. You gotta have this, or you, you know. I know very, very simply. You know, we have these computers we carry around in our hand, or most of the time they look like an appendage of our hands called cell phones iPhones or Androids or whatever the case may be, and I know it's ancient history, but I don't think it was ten years ago there was nothing to that extent. We're carrying around a computer in our hands that's more powerful than the computer that sent men to the moon has more information, more capability than all that. And we've been sold a bill of goods that we have to, you know, spend all this time, all of our energies, knowing what everybody else is doing, posting things on Facebook. I'm sorry, I do not need to know what you had for breakfast. That is not that important. Or that you're walking the dog now. None of these things are earth-shaking. But what has it done? It's focused everything upon us. You become the most important thing. It's all what you want. All what, you know, everybody, I'm so important. Everybody wants to know what I'm doing. So that makes you God. That's really what it is. It's making you God, your own God and everybody needs to follow you and you want to follow everybody else it elevates us above all that's godly and it's in opposition to what is really eternal that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ it's a substitute when worshiping See, that was Esau's problem. He was hungry, came in, and yes, Jacob fooled him, took advantage of it, but he sold his birthright. We talked about that last time I minister, but way back in June. Seems wild. Anyway, but because he was hungry, he says, I'll sell it. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright for the mess of pottage, for a bowl of of lentil soup. And the birthright was what we mentioned was to be the head of the house, be the priest of the house, and a double portion of inheritance. He gave all that away for a immediate satisfaction in his life right there. And we say, oh, that's terrible. But what are we doing? What are we sacrificing that is eternal just to be satisfy that which is immediate to us, for immediate gratification? Like with all of us, one of the things I'm looking at in my life is Lord, what what am I, you know, sacrificing of you by, you know, uh, by meeting my immediate need, myself, what I want to do, as opposed to what God wants me to do. And God doesn't want, here, please hear me. He's not desiring that you become a monk or whatever, and all you do is, you know spend your whole day reading the Bible and so forth but what he really wants to do is that you take the Bible that you read like Brother Clark was talking about a verse that he's laid that has touched your heart and live that verse. You could read, you know, read from cover to cover and, let, and nothing would sink in and lay hold of your heart and you have, you've done a spiritual exercise But God wants you to be spiritual, not religious. There's a big difference. Let's continue on. Esau, because he didn't value his heritage, his birth weight, squandered it on a momentary pleasure. Let's be careful. Take take an analysis of your life. Where are you spending your time? Well, I know we have to work and all those sort of things. Understand that. We've got schoolwork and all these things. But is there any time when we set aside unto the Lord so all the other stuff makes sense? Let's continue. Verse 17. Back in Hebrews 12. For you know that how afterwards he would have inherited his blessing. He was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it with tears. The problem was he wasn't, he was uh, seeking after the Inheritance and not the spiritual precedent that his birthright gave him. He was only interested in the temporal, not the eternal. Let's continue. Verse 18, says, out of the New Living Translation it says, you have, come, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, of darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as Israelites did in Mount Sinai. And I'm not going to go there, I'm just going to capsulize it, but I'll give you a reference there in Exodus 19. Mount Sinai is where the Lord came down, and, Moses, and when he came down to the top of the mountain, it became filled with smoke and fire and began to shake. Just think about this the Lord God Almighty came and stood on a piece of his creation. I think it's going to shake. Just in quiver in the fact that the presence of the Lord is there. And he said, Moses, you come up. But tell, warn the people not to come near, they were spread along the, the foot of the, of the mountain, said, don't have the people come up because, see, he, he knew their hearts. He said, I know they'll be curious and they'll want to come and see if they can see God. Because no one had ever seen God. All they had seen was the pillar of fire at night and the cloud of smoke in the, in the daytime that covered them and protected them from the sun beating down on them. Uh, Glido and I appreciated that because in Naples, Florida, the average temperature when we were there was about 93 or 94. It was hot. Of course, we had the bright ideas of ride our bikes, and when it was 93, a couple miles, and by the time we got there, we were full of sweat. When we came, by the time we came back, we were fuller of sweat. So, anyway, we enjoyed ourselves. And actually, wonder above all wonders, we didn't gain any weight. I said, yes, Lord. Anyway. So, our temporal, well, they wanted to peek through and see And God was "said I know what's in their heart. Somebody's going to try to peek and see that, oh, I saw God. So if they get near me, they're going to die. Because their heart wasn't right. The only one that could go up there only ones that could go up there was Moses and Joshua because their hearts were right. Their hearts were open to be able to see God. They weren't full of all these other things that were in the way of God. So he said, you guys can come up, but the rest of them need to stay away. And that's where they received the Ten Commandments. The, the, the Old Covenant was, in fact, initiated there. Let's continue. The, uh, there was a sound of trumpets, all the, the quaking, and so forth. But let's go. <coughs> let's, let's go on and go to uh, Nehemiah chapter nine. Nehemiah nine. This is what struck me early on in the month. And I just began to think on it and meditate on it. I love the fact that when the Lord drops something in your heart, we start reading in other places and every place you read points to the same thing that he opened up to you. I love that about him. So let's start with chapter uh, Nehemiah 9, Starting with verse seven. Thou art Lord, thou art Jehovah, the covenant keeping God. Thou art the Lord, the God that did choose Abraham Abram, excuse me, and brought him forth out of Ur of Chaldees and gave him a name Abraham, and found his heart faithful before thee and made or dis, did confirm a covenant with him to give the land of, uh, of the Canaanites. Now, he goes on and lists all these diff- different um, ites. But I did a little research on them, and all of these ites are, in fact, um, heritages of Canaan and so they were all and all every name has a significance to it and all the, so let me just we'll get back to this but let me just uh, the Canaanites it means um, merchants or traders it's now These are all enemies of Israel. Enemies of God's people. I want you to get this thought in your mind. These are things that are trying to destroy God's people. Okay? So the Canaanites, it means they were traders and merchants. And I asked the Lord, well, what does that mean? He says, it's being materialistic. It's an enemy of God's people. The Hittites... The word means simply terror, fear. The Amorites means a sayer or to boast, pride. Perizzites means a village or unwalled uh, town. It's the lack of protection. The enemy will tell you that you have no protection. God's not keeping you. He'll tell you that, as Brother Clark said, you have no significance with him. So your purpose, he's not aware of you. You have significance with God. He knows what you've gone through. And by the way, he was there all the time. He kept you. He protected you. You are precious to him. Do not believe the thoughts that say that you have your life's not worth anything. Don't listen to the things that People will hate me now. I won't understand that God understands. God holds you in His hand, He's kept you, He has great plans for you. Understand? Don't believe what the enemy says. He's called you. He's purposed you. He loves you beyond all, any and all things that have tried to come and destroy you. See, the enemy's working and trying to try destroy you because he's afraid of what you will become in God. Okay? Understand what I'm saying? So be of good courage, young woman. He loves you, I love you, and his love is greater than mine, and his protection is greater than mine. And I would would protect you to the death, okay? Satan wants to show, show terror into our lives. Let's look at some of these other things. to tell us we're not protected the Jebusites uh, literally means a threshing place That means to tread down or be rejected anybody ever felt rejected see in Christ is the realm of acceptance he accepts us when no one else ever will He accepts us us even when we're not even looking for him. Well, Gergashites means, literally it means clay soil It's being unproductive. Do you ever feel unproductive in the things of the spirit? That's the enemy trying to tell you that you're of no use to God again. but they're an enemy of God's people. And the reason he tries to sow all these things in our lives is because he's afraid of us. He's afraid of the God that's within us. And he knows that because of the God that's in us, we have authority over him. So he's trying to to sow these things in our lives so we won't know, don't won't realize that we have authority over his power. His power is real, but the power within us through Jesus Christ is realer, stronger, greater. Well, blessed be his name. I've got to hurry along here. He gave these things to Abraham. He started the, the covenant started with Abraham because he found him to be faithful and righteous before him. Let's continue on, please. Picking up in, uh, down in verse 13. Out of the amplifiers says, You came down also from Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven and gave them right ordinances, true laws, and good statutes and commandments. The word of God is good. The word of God is for our good. Always. Always. Let's continue. Verse 14. Thou made us known unto them the holy Sabbath, and commandest them precepts, statues by the hand of Moses, thy servant, and gave us them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought us forth water out of the rock for their thirst, and um, promised them that they should uh, go in and possess this land, this land of Canaan, and that this has sworn to give unto them. They... uh, but they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their hearts or hardened their necks excuse me and hearken not unto thy commandments that children of Israel for never for an extended period of time kept the laws of God. They were always looking they were always looking at their circumstances around them and forgetting the fact that God was protecting them with the clouds so they wouldn't get sunstroke, that he was providing them water when they were thirsty. He gave them manna and quail when they were hungry. He was satisfying all their temporal needs because they were his people. They were his covenant people. Okay, but that wasn't enough for them. They were, they would lust after this and lust after that, and they would, uh, they go in and they started taking the land from. They never did possess all of God's promised land for themselves. They got satisfied, or they got afraid. Oh, they got these people have high wall cities and so forth. We can't go there. Well, the first one they went into was Jericho, which was a high-walled city. Listen to me. They didn't shoot an arrow, didn't get a catapult. They walked around it and kept themselves, kept quiet for seven days. Great battle plan. I, and if I were the children of Israel and Joshua said, we're going to walk around Jericho every day for seven days and not say a word. Well, that was a miracle, too, that the people not to walk around. Jericho was a big city. It took a, quite a while to walk around, and they're not saying anything. and the seventh day, so this, we're going to walk around seven times, and then we're going to shout, and the walls are going to come down. Now, if I was there, my great military experience, I would have said, That's the battle plan? Uh, are you sure? Are you sure you're hit? We got—we could make some of these engines and you know catapults and start breaking down the wall. But you—we're gonna shout. These walls are thick enough; they could ride chariots around the wall. So we're talking—at the top—they were probably eight to ten feet wide at least. And so when they built the wall, they they start with a greater base and go up, slanting down. Okay? So at the bottom, they may have been 20, 30 feet wide, depending on how high it was. And we're going to shout, and the walls are going to come down. Joshua, you got a few screws loose or what? But God said, that's what you're going to do. Because I want to show you that the greatness of the enemy is nothing to me. He shouted, uh, they shouted, and the walls fell down. All except the portion where Rahab was. Either he kept that house up or he nestled it down to the ground. One of the two. You know the story. And the thing I love too is that the very thing said that ne- couldn't come into the kingdom of God, a harlot, we find in the lineage of Jesus Christ. I love the way the Lord does things. No matter, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them whiter than snow. It doesn't matter who you were. It what matters what, who sa- he, what he says you are. Because he, see- he knows what he wants to make out of you right now. And as far as he's concerned, you are that already. Because he sees you as an end condition. His purpose. Blessed be his name. Verse 17 and 18 again. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you have done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed leaders to take them back to to their slavery in Egypt. Just think about that. Because it was a little difficult in the wilderness said we had it better back when we were slaves in Egypt for 400 years they were slaves and for 400 years they had a slave mentality and they said "Well, we long for the the leeks and the garlets and the things we had in Egypt We, we had food all the time I said this manna we're getting tired of this nana stuff. Well, question for you. Is there a time in your life where when you look back and say, you know, it was better when I was back there than it being here with the Lord. First off, if that's your mentality, that's a deception of the enemy. But I remember when I used to be able to do this and used to be able to do that and the Lord's taken that away from me. No. If you listen to him, he's not taken it away. He's removed the desire. There's a difference. There's things in our lives that we used to do that God comes in gently and says, I'm going to, when we ask Him, Lord, take the desire away, and the desire's gone. It may take some time, but if we ask, He'll do. Now, all of us have areas where we. Sometimes desire that we could go back into and remember the good old days, quote-unquote. Forgetting all the havoc and all the sorrow that those good old days brought. But the enemy won't remind you of of the sorrows and anguish. He'll just tell you all the fun you had. Remember when you used to go out and do such and such of course, you were worthless for the next two or three days, but you had fun. Well, I don't want to get distracted here. goes on to say that um, but you abandoned him. He made a molten calf, verse 18, for, uh, for themselves and said, this is your God that brought us out of Egypt and worked a great uh, provocation. Yet your manifold mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire at night to show them the light when the way that you should go. With all this turmoil, all their desires to go back and serve everything else Making the molten and calf and so forth. Now, I don't know about you, and it's probably a good thing I'm not gone, because I would have probably said, well, okay. And he did tell Moses, he said, you know, let me, and Moses interceded, by the way, he said, let me just wipe them all out and I'll start a new nation from you. But the man of God that Moses was said, no, Lord. If you wipe them out, wipe me out too. Can you hear this? They were doing all these things, and God didn't change his treatment of them. He, with his manifold mercies, they were doing everything that was wrong, yet his mercies kept his provision for them. Can you understand that? Can you see that in the word? Because they weren't, they weren't in fact doing what was right before him. But God of mercy and love kept them because he promised Abraham and Moses that he would bring a people into the promised land. Well, And see, these were all still in the wilderness when they were wandering around in 40 years. Down in verse 21. 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. 40 years with all their murmuring, complaining, and rebellion, says they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. And their feet did not swell. Verse 22. Let me pick up there. Um, Moreover thou gave us them kingdoms and nations and, and just divide them into corners so they possessed the land of Sidon and in the land of the uh, kingdom of Assad um, now let me drop, me, let me drop down to verse thirty. I'm sorry, yet every year didst thou forbear them and, and testify against them by the spirit of the prophets, and yet they did not give ear, therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people of the land this whole portion here is a synopsis or a, a picture of the history of Israel. But I think it has a very significance of our history also. We've served the Lord for a while then we get complacent in our serving the Lord. And because the Lord still continues to bless us, we think we're okay. But it's not It's because of his mercy that he has not removed his hand from us. Understand what I'm saying? I don't want, if you can hear what I'm saying, I don't want to live on his mercy or depend upon his mercy because my life is not righteous before him. Hear me, please? Understand what I'm saying? They were rebelling. They were worshipping other gods. But his mercy, his everlasting mercy was continually there because of his promise to Abraham and Moses. And God is not a man that he shall lie. Hath he not said it, shall he not do it? He's called us for his own. Now, see, because we seem like everything's going okay and we get in tight spots and God comes to the rescue and so forth, most of the times we get in tight spots because of our own actions. We don't like to admit that. But there's always cause and effect. You know, we... uh, Forsake the assembling of ourselves together and then wonder why all havoc is breaking loose on us because we're not coming and worshiping together. like Glydell said, we have a fresh appreciation for this house. I, could, I would wither up well my own personal relationship might not but being in and out in 61 minutes would not satisfy my hunger for God. I mean, that was worship, offering, announcements, message, and altar call. 61 minutes. Now, I hate to break this to you, but the message would be 61 minutes, not just a oh, service or whatever. But the, the real thrust of this is that he continually gave them grace or gave them mercy, excuse me, even though they were walking in their own heart, in their own ways, in opposition to God. See, how many know that when we came to him, it was because of his mercy? We will never, we could never, ever be good enough to deserve his salvation. Never. Now see, the enemy will say, well, you've done too much. You're, you know, you're just too bad. God can't forgive you. I hate to break this. To, no, I don't hate to break this to Satan, but none of us ever deserved his salvation, his shed blood, not even one drop but he has cleansed us he has purchased us by his blood we are his he has separated us and said this one is mine even when we do things that are displeasing to him we're still his let me for a second just talk to the parents How many parents, how many times have your children not done exactly like you think they ought to? Now how about the rest of you that are saying, oh my kids are perfect. Well, I haven't met any of those yet, so maybe you should introduce them to me. But what do you do? They do displease you or they're doing things that we know they shouldn't. Does that stop you from loving them? No. So, if we as human beings can love people beyond reasonableness, love them beside, in, in spite of what they're doing, and give them mercy, how much more can He? give us mercy. Let's continue here, please. Back in verse 30 again. In your love you were patient with them for many years, and and sent your spirit to warn them through prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the people of the land to conquer them. But your great mercy did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. Even though we have deserved, deserved great recompense for what we have done, God in his mercy has forgiven. And doesn't give us what we deserve. Okay, let's. Um, verse thirty-three says, "Out of the amplified, however, you are just in all that you have come that have come has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly." God is always faithful faithful to his desire for us even when we're not faithful to that ourselves. That's called mercy. It's called mercy. Turn to Psalm 106, please. Starting at verse 1. Psalm 6, verse 1. 106, verse 1. Praise you, Lord. Give thanks unto the Lord... For he is good. His mercies endure forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Jeho- the word is Jehovah. Who can show forth his praises, all his praises? Blessed are those who keep judgment. And he that doth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with favor that bearest unto all people. O visit me with thy salvation. That, may, uh, be, uh, that I may be the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice with the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory in thy inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers, and we have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly or lawlessly. Our fathers understood not the, the wonders of Egypt, and remember not the multitude of thy mercies or thy loving kindness, but provoked him at the sea, uh, 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 even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. See, his, with his name being called upon us, there is a provision in the Lord See, the Lord doesn't understand or doesn't relate to failure in that respect. Can understand what I'm saying? You're his, and unless you obstinately set yourself in opposition to him, he's always going to be drawing you. And even then, he says, if they return to me, he told Israel, you, you have played the harlot. You have gone and, and worship under every uh, palm tree and so forth. And by the way, he said, when idolatry is unto him as, as harlot, uh, being a harlot, harlotry, adultery, because you're being faithful to someone else other than him. He said, even though you've done all that, and I've written you a bill of divorcement saying you're not mine anymore, but if you return to me, if you return to me, I will restore to you all that I have taken from you, and you'll be my wife again. That's his mercy. That's his mercy. Let's drop down to verse 22. Wondrous works in the land of Ham. And by the way, Ham is the son of Noah. Wonderful works are beyond one's power, and terrible things are fearful and dreadful things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said and, uh, said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him and. In the breach, and he turned away the wrath, lest I should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word. There's the problem. Any time we we cease to believe what God is saying, and try to say, well, that's r- not really what God is saying. We're stepping away from His provision, His grace, and begin walking in mercy. Now, we'll develop this a little more later, but because of his mercy, God doesn't bring upon us what we deserve. Understand what I'm saying? But his purpose for us, and that's living beyond or below the purposing of God for you. Even though, so, I'm running out of time, but let me just drop down here a little further. Verse 24 said, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of God. I'm not saying any of you did, did this, but... Have, we, have you heard people say, well, I know what the Word of God says, but... Or if the, if the pastor thinks I'm going to do that, well, if the pastor's not quoting the Word of God, then you might have a, a leg to stand on, but if the Word of God says it, and you're not willing to pay the price... Of what the Word of God says, you're walking defiance and disobedience. Well, we murmured in our tents, or murmured in the, in the car on the way home. Who do you think he is? And usually it's not the one that's saying it's the holy spirit that's convicting you and say make a choice continue in your favorite sin or remove it from your life well it's our choice again said it many times but Our lives are the sum total of the decisions we've made for good and for evil. In Psalm 78, verse 36, it says, Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongues. For their heart was not set fast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. We can all profess a lot of things, but our profession is only as good as our living in those things. We can all make a lot of promises to God, but how, much, how many of those promises are actually put into shoe leather? That's the word of God that's becoming in your life or part of your life. Not with just the confession, but with a change of the heart. Let's continue here, please. Verse 40. How often he did you provoke him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert? Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel word limited means to wound, to trouble, to cause pain. Can you understand this? When we're disobedient to his word, the word of God tells us we're giving God pain. Is that what it says? I don't know about you, but I think I've given God enough pain in my life. Well, I've lived long enough in my life under his gracious mercy. I want my life to be pleasing so that he can change mercy to grace, divine enablement. Hebrews 12.25 says this, Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, an earthly messenger. We will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks from heaven. In closing here, the children of Israel, God's chosen people, instead of rejoicing in the fact that he had laid hold of them, he had delivered them from slavery. For 400 years of slavery. But they st- even though he had brought them out of Egypt, Egypt was still in their heads. They were still slaves. And he would promise them something. And because they filtered it through their slave mentality, it was too good to be true. So they couldn't believe what God was saying. So they didn't believe what God was saying. So they still walked around in their slave mentality. Even to the point where they wanted to go back into slavery when God had given him freedom. See, if you've... I don't understand that. I don't, can't experience it and so forth, but I, I've had... Uh, read and so forth that... Well, let me just do it this way. None of us have ever been enslaved to anybody, even though you might think your boss is a taskmaster and so forth, but... There is another thing that the enemy does that makes us a slave, is that we don't believe what God says. We believe that the terror that the enemy would say over what God says, that would deliver us from it. One of the things he uses is that, uh, that one with clay saw the, 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 the lack. He says, uh, a poverty mentality. You'll never get anywhere, never be anything. That's what the world tells you. What does the Lord say? He said, You are my, you are my child, you are my the apple of my eye, you are in fact my chosen child or son or daughter. Whose report you're gonna believe? Whose word you're gonna take as truth? So just in closing, let me just read this last portion. Let us not mistake the Lord's provision as an approval of our lifestyle. The Lord's providing for me. He says, I must be okay. Not necessarily. Because we're living under his mercy. Is any of this making any sense to anybody? Let us not be satisfied with the old covenant lifestyle of disobedience and and ignoring God's word that requires his mercy, but a new covenant lifestyle of obedience which releases his grace, his divine enablement. I don't want us in any way, shape, or form to have to continue to walk in his mercy. Do you understand what I'm saying when I'm saying that? That means there's things in your life that you're holding up above him and above his word. And out of his mercy, he's still being gracious to us, being giving us loving kindness, waiting for us to grow up out of those childish things, those sinful things. 'Cause let me say this. I know we have we depend upon his mercy. I understand that. But he's called us to something higher than his mercy. He's called us to his grace that enables us to become as he is. So where are we? Are we gonna stay in an old covenant mentality? So Lord, I'm going to do whatever I can get away with. Or are we going to walk in a grace mentality, a new covenant mentality He says, Lord, I want to be conformed to your image. Be careful because your life, if you say that, your life is going to change. But it will change for the better. Behold, all things are new. No longer walking under the mentalities of fear and lack and uh, and, uh, boasting and so forth. All those things within our lives, God is going to be removing. Because it comes to a point where it says, as Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ. Christ. Blessed be his holy name. Let's stand, please.